This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, a work of the Ulaga Church of Christ. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures. Today we're going to continue in our studies in the book of Job, and we're going to begin in Job chapter 29. Job just finished his discussion of finding true wisdom in chapter 28. In chapter 29, Job longs for the good old days before his calamities came upon him. Miles Cotham in the 16th Spiritual Sword Lectureship book on page 293 makes this statement, and I quote, Chapter 29 is a mini autobiography of the former days when Job flourished by indicating that God was yet with him. There's an unmistakable thought on Job's part that God has somehow abandoned him in some fashion by equating the blessings of his children, wealth and respect with, ever, with the ever abiding presence of God. Modern man is no different. To some, the only indication of God's approval of them lies in their current condition coinciding with contemporary standards and ideas of the good life. It is no wonder that many today abandon God when things go wrong." Unquote. Well, to start with, in the good old days, Job believed that God watched over him and lighted his way. That's chapter 29, verses 1 through 5. In verses 1 and 2, Job says that God used to be with him. Job 29, 1 and 2. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me. Well, Job may again have paused here to see if any of his friends would have anything yet to say, but Job wanted to recall how his life was in the months past when God favored him. This verse shows how great a length Job also had to endure his great suffering. That would be for months as in months past there he's talking about. But apparently he's thinking now that God is not preserving him anymore. In Job 29.3, Job said he walked in divine favor in those good old days, Job 29.3, when his candle shined upon my head and when by his light I walked through darkness. Joe, or God's light is happiness, is light of happiness shone upon Job, and God's guidance and direction helped Job through times of adversity back then, but no more. Keep your marker here in Job 29, and let's go to Psalm 18:28. Psalm 18:28. That verse says, For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Again, Job is saying, Back in the days when God favored him, he walked in the light, 
of God's favor, but now he is not doing that anymore. In verse 4 of Job chapter 29, Job says that God was his friend in the good old days. Verse 4, as I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle. The word youth there from the Hebrew word korath, Strong's defines this way, properly the crop gathered, that is by implication the autumn and winter season, figuratively the ripeness of age. So what Job is referring to is not in his youth, but to the time when Job was as prosperous as trees are that are ripe with fruit. Now, the secret of God in his tabernacle refers to God giving counsel to Job in his tent or his place of dwelling. So this is another indication of Job living during the patriarchal period, whenever God spoke to the heads of the families. Now, again, let's go to the book of Psalms, and this time let's go to Psalm 25, verse 14. Psalm 25:14. It says there, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. So putting those two passages together, Job or God would show Job what he wanted Job to do, show him his covenant. And then in Job 29.5, Job says that in the good old days when God was still with him, his children were still alive. Job 29.5, when the Almighty was yet with me, and when my children were about me. Job still thinks that God has abandoned him, and he doesn't understand why. And then Job's thinking about his children that were still alive back then, but they are no more. In verses 6 through 25, there in Job 29, Job gives a list of the good things that have happened to him and the good things that he has done. First of all, Job says he was prosperous back then in the good old days. Verse 6 of chapter 29. When I washed my steps with butter and the rock poured me out rivers of oil. Butter and oil refer to times of great prosperity. The Geneva Bible translators notes, and again this is in the program ESword, make this comment about this verse, and I quote, By these comparisons he declares the great prosperity that he was in, so that he had no opportunity to be such a sinner as they accused him, unquote. Now, when we look at verse 7 of Job 29, we see that Job was apparently a magistrate. Job 29, 7. And I went out to the gate through the city when I prepared my seat in the street. 
Now, Adam Clark says concerning this verse, and I quote him, Courts of justice were held at the gates or entrances of the cities of the east, and Joe being an emir or prince was supreme magistrate, and here he speaks of his going to the gate to administer justice. He's saying, I administered judgment openly in the street in the most public manner, and none could say that I, in any case, perverted justice, unquote. In verse 8 of Job 29, he says that he had great respect from the young men and old men back then. Verse 8, the young men saw me and hid themselves, and the aged arose and stood up. So apparently the young men were awed at Job's presence in the good old days. The old men rose and paid respect to Job as he passed by in the good old days. And Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad, they know that what Job is saying is true. He did not pervert justice in any way there. In verse 9 of Job 29, even royalty refrained from talking when Job walked by. Verse 9, the princes refrained talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The word prince is there from the Hebrew word sar. Brown Driver Briggs defines this way. Prince, ruler, leader, chief, chieftain, official, captain, but whatever the ones may be here, the, their silence showed great respect for Job. In verse 10, Job says that prominent men in society were so overwhelmed at Job's presence that they could not speak. Job 29.10, the nobles held their peace and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. Now, nobles here, from the Hebrew word nagid, means, according to Strong's, a commander as occupying the front, civil, military, or religious. One of those kinds of leaders, in other words. Adam Clark says concerning the verse, and quote him, Job here intimates that his judgment was so sound, his decisions so accredited, and his reasoning power so great that every person paid him the utmost deference. There, unquote. So they yielded their opinion to the judgment of Job. In verse 11, Job says that people were happy to hear what he said. Job 29, 11. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw me, it gave witness to me. So those who heard Job speak blessed him. And the eyes of the multitudes were witnesses of the respect and honor that Job had. Well, in verse 12, Job counterattacks what Eliphaz had accused him of. Verse 12 of chapter 29. 
because I delivered the poor that cried, and the fatherless, and him that had none to help. You might remember that Eliphaz had falsely accused Job of great sins. Some of these that Job just said he did not do right here. But let's go back to Job 22 and look at verses 5 through 10. Job 22, 5 through 10, Eliphaz here speaking. He says, Is not thy wickedness great, and thine iniquities infinite? For thou hast taken a pledge from thy brother for naught, and stripped the naked of their clothing. Thou hast not given water to the weary to drink. Thou hast withholden bread from the hungry. But as for the mighty man, he had the earth, and the honorable man dwelt in it. Thou hast sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless have been broken. Therefore snares are round about thee, and sudden fear troubleth thee. Well, Job said in verse 12, he delivered the poor. He delivered the fatherless. He helped those who had no help. So he's saying that just the opposite. He rescued the poor that cried to help, for help to him. Job helped the orphan that brought his case before him. Job gave justice to those who had no one else to help them. And all this was done in the open where everyone could see even Job's three friends. Let's go back to the book of Psalms again and let's go to Psalm 72 this time. We're going to look at verses 12 to 14. Psalm 72 12 to 14. For he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also, and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy, and shall save the souls of the needy. Verse 14. He shall redeem their soul from deceit or oppression, and violence and precious shall their blood be in his sight. Well, Job is saying about the same thing here in the justice that he administered there whenever he was a magistrate there where he was living. In verse 13 of Job 29, Job helped those who were falsely accused and those who were in danger of death because of their poverty. Job 29, 13. <clears throat> The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. Job saw to the needs of those who were oppressed, and he was active in relieving the distress of the widows, not causing the stress of their, their distress. In Job 29, 14, Job said he delighted to do justice as much as others delighted to wear costly clothing. Verse 14, I put on righteousness and it clothed me and my judgment, justice, the American standard says, was a robe and a diadem. Job clothed himself with righteousness. Job's righteous verdicts were his robe and his 
headdress. Now let's go to Isaiah 61 verse 10. Isaiah chapter 61 and we're going to read verse 10. It says there, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. <clears throat> For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. So being clothed there with righteousness. Job in verse 20 or chapter 29 verse 15 says that he assisted those who were handicapped. Verse 15, I was eyes to the blind and feet was I to the lame. Job was as a counselor and a guide to the blind. Job assisted and supported those who were lame and did for them what they would do for themselves if they were sound in health. In verse 16, Job said he treated those who were destitute as if they were his children and investigated the cause of the stranger. Job 29:16. I was a father to the poor and the cause of him which are the cause of, well, American Standard adds of him, which I knew not, I searched out. So there were cases that were brought before Job that needed further investigation before a decision was made. And he says he did that, that further investigation, even for strangers, those that he did not know. And then Job punished those who abused others. That's Job 29, 17. He says, and I break the jaws of the wicked and I pluck the spoil out of his teeth. Albert Barnes concerning this verse makes, states this, and I quote, the image here is taken from wild beasts with whom Job compares the wicked and says that he rescued the helpless from their grasp as he would a lamb from a lion or a wolf, unquote. Now in verse 18 of Job chapter 29, Job there is saying that because of all of his righteous actions, he expected to live a long and happy life. Job 29, 18. Then I said, I shall die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as the sand. Well, a nest is an image of quietness, security, and comfort. An example of that is found in Numbers 24, 21. Numbers chapter 24, verse 21. And he looked on the Kenites and took up this parable and said, Strong is thy dwelling place, and thou puttest thy nest in the rock. Well, this is Balaam speaking here, but it is a prophecy that he's mentioning. But we just have the example here that the nest is a dwelling place, a secure dwelling place there. So Job 
expected to die in a peace die peacefully in a good old age surrounded by his family and his friends. And Job felt that at that time, back in again the good old days, he felt like he was a tree planted by the waters. Job twenty nine seventeen. Excuse me, Job twenty nine nineteen. My root was spread out by the waters, and the dew lay all night upon my branch. You know, what we're looking at here are symbols of great prosperity. And then in verse 20, Job's glory, vigor, and strength were with him. In the good old days, verse 20, my glory was fresh in me, and my bow was renewed in my hand. All right, now talking about the word glory, Adam Clark makes this statement, and I quote, the image is probably taken from that suggested in the previous verse from a tree whose beauty and vigor were continued by the waters and by the dew that lay on his branches, unquote. And then Job talked about his bow being renewed, quoting Adam Clark again, an emblem of vigor and strength. The ancients fought with the bow, and hence a man who was able to keep his bow constantly drawn was an image of undiminished and unwearied vigor, unquote. So Job is just saying that he had many sources of blessings from God in the good old days. Well, in verse 21, Job refers again to the time when men paid respectful attention to what he said. Job 29:21. Unto me men gave ear and waited and kept silence at my counsel. Job, or people waited for Job to speak and they listened to what he had to say. They didn't interrupt him. They didn't attempt a reply while he was speaking. They knew that Job's counsel was good and right. And in verse 22, Job says that people never disputed with him because they were satisfied with his wise counsel. Job 29:22. After my words, they spake not again. My speech dropped upon them. All right, now what about this? You know, they, again, they didn't dispute with his counsel, but what about this dropped upon them? Well, Job's speech dropped on them like the dew or a gentle rain. I want to go to Deuteronomy 32, 1 to 3. I want to read this part of the Song of Moses. Deuteronomy 32, 1 through 3. It says, Give ear, O ye heavens, I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as showers upon the grass. Because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness unto our God. So there's an example there of the doctrine, God's doctrine dropping as the gentle rain on the grass. Well, right there, Job is saying that 
people were eager. His words dropped like the gentle dew or rain upon people's ears. In Job 29:23, it says Job says that people were eager to hear what he said, just as the parched earth is eager for rain. Job 29:23. And they waited for me as for the rain. And they opened their mouth wide as for the latter rain. In other words, people longed to hear what Job said. They wanted to hear his counsel and his decisions. In verse 24, Job there says, with cheerfulness, he was able to reassure others. Verse 24, if I laughed on them, it, they believed it not. And the light of my countenance, they cast not down. John Gill has this to say about this verse, and I quote, not that at any time he laughed at them by way of derision, but when a cheerful frame of mind or in a merry, merry mood, he used freedom and familiarity and jested with them. But they could not believe that he did jest or was in jest, he being a man always of such gravity and seriousness that they concluded the smile on his countenance and the pleasant turn of his expression had a serious meaning in them or such familiarity with them was so pleasing to them that they could scarcely for joy believe that he did condescend to indulge such an air of pleasantry. And then in verse 25, Job helped others choose the right path in their lives. Job 29:25. I chose out their way and sat chief and dwelt as a king in the army, as one that comforteth the mourners. So when Job's friends came to ask him for advice, he helped them make the right choices. Job presided again in their councils and in their courts, and he was like a king surrounded by a multitude of troops who held great respect for him. So in time of affliction, people came to Job for comfort. So in his speech here in chapter 29, Job is vindicating himself from the accusations of sin and hypocrisy his friends have accused him of. Job reminds his friends of the respect and honor that had been shown to him by those he knew him, the poor and needy, the rich and royalty. Who could better testify of Job's character than all those that he'd helped in their times of need? Job does not tell his friends that all this is because of his own greatness, but he assigns it all to God and the great blessings that God had bestowed upon him. Job looks at his current condition in contrast to what he just said here in chapter 30. So again, Job looked at the good old days back in chapter 29, but now he comes back to the present in chapter 30, 
and he accounts his afflictions and believes that he has been mistreated by both God and man. First of all, in verses 1 through 15 of chapter 30, Job says he is mocked by younger men who were the outcasts of society. In verse 1, Job says he is mocked by those whose fathers he would have not hired to take care of his dogs. Job 30 verse 1. But now they that are younger than I have me in derision, whose fathers I would have disdained to set with the dogs of my flock. Mockery of an older man by younger man was and is a great insult. Not only in that culture then, it is in our culture a great insult today as well. Young men and old men used to revere Job. Now the young men ridiculing. And the lowest class of people now hold Job in contempt. You know, oh, he got what he deserved. Oh, look at him now. Things such as that. Well, Job says that the fathers of these scoffers were never good for anything. Job 30, verse 2. Yea, whereto might the strength of their hands profit me, in whom old age was perished. Their youth was without profit, and their old age is without honor. They were never good for anything, either when they were young or now that they're old. In verse 30, Job says that those that scoff at him now once fled into the wilderness because they were outcast. Job 30, verse 3. For want and famine, they were solitary, fleeing into the wilderness in former time, desolate and waste. Albert Barnes there says concerning this verse, and I quote him, In order to show the depth to which he himself was sunk in public estimation, Job goes into a description of the state of these miserable wretches and says that he was treated with contempt by the very scum of society. Those who were reduced to the most abject wretchedness and who wandered in the deserts, subsisting on roots without clothing, shelter, or home, and who were chased away by the respectable portion of the community as if they were thieves and robbers, unquote. Well, these scoffers, Job says, were scavengers in the wilderness, Job 30, verse 4, who cut up mallows by the bushes and juniper roots for their meat. Mallows refers to the plant saltwort. Albert Barnes says this concerning the verse, and I quote, The Hebrew word, according to Umbright, means a common salad of a saltish taste, whose young leaves being cooked constituted food for the poorer classes, unquote. Jennifer is translated from a Hebrew word that means the broom plant. The broom plant was a bush that was occasionally used for food by the poor. 
Now in verse 5 of Job 30, he says, These scoffers were run out of town with a loud cry as if they were thieves. Job 30 verse 5. They were driven forth from among men. They cried after them as after a thief. They were the outcasts then of society. In verse 6, Job says that these nomads of society were driven to live in the cliffs and the caves. Verse 6, to dwell in cliffs of the valleys and caves of the earth and in the rocks. So they lived in the wilderness, finding what shelter they could find. In verse 7, Job says that these scoffers brayed like wild donkeys in want of food and huddled together like beasts under the bramble. Verse 7 of Job 30. Among the bushes they brayed, under the nettles they were gathered together. Albert Barnes says this concerning verse 7, and I quote, This description is interesting, not only as denoting the depth to which Job had been reduced when he was the object of contempt by such vagrants, but as illustrative of a state of society existing then, unquote. Well, these scoffers were a low-down, nameless pack, Job calls them in verse 8. They were children of fools, yea, children of base men. They were viler than the earth. Well, they were worthless. They were failures who were driven out of the land. Now, let's look at some of these words here. They were children of fools, the Hebrew word Nabal. Strong says that word means stupid, wicked, especially impious. The word base, children of base men, Balia. Strong says that means properly failure, that is nothing or destruction. And then he says they were viler than the earth. The American Standard says scourged out of the land. But the word translated viler there, nakah, strong says means to smite, that is drive away. They were driven out of the land. They were wicked, they were impious, they were failures, and they were driven away. And now Job is ridiculed by that group. Verse 9. He says, And now I am their song. Yea, I am their byword. They taunted Job because of what has happened to him. They sing about him and mock his misery. In verse 10, these scoffers abhorred Job and would not associate with him, and when they were near him, they would spit in his face. Job 30, verse 10. They abhor me. They flee far from me and spare not to spit in my face. They treated Job as if he were the scum of the earth. Well, Job says, since God has struck him with his arrow and wounded him, 
the scoffers have thrown off all restraints in how they treat Job. Job 30, verse 11. Because he, speaking of God, hath loosed my cord and afflicted me, they have also let loose the bridle before me. Adam Clark says concerning this verse, and I quote, This reading directs us to a metaphor taken from an archer, who observing his mark to be shot at, sets his arrow on the string, draws it to a proper degree of tension, levels, and then loosing his hold, the arrow flies at the mark. He hath let loose his arrow against me. It has hit me, and I am wounded. And when they perceived that God had afflicted me, they threw off. They then threw off all restraints. Like headstrong horses, swallowed the bit, got the reins on their neck, and ran off at full speed. Unquote. Well, in verse 12... Job says these scoffers rise up against him and try to knock him down as a city under siege. Job 30, verse 12. Upon my right hand rise the youth. They push away my feet. They raise up against me the ways of their destruction. The word youth there, the American Standard translates as rabble. Again, Albert Barnes concerning this verse states this, and I quote, Instead of giving place for me, they jostle and crowd me from my path. Once the aged and honorable rose and stood in my presence, and the youth retired at my coming. But now this worthless rabble crowds along with me, jostles me in my goings, and shows me no manner of respect. They raise up against me destructive ways or ways that tend to destroy me. The figure is taken from an advancing army that cast up ramparts and other means of attack designed for the destruction of a besieged city. They were in like manner constantly making advances against Job and pressing on him in a manner that was designed to destroy him. Unquote. In verse 13, Job says these scoffers profit by his ruin. Verse 13, they mar my path. They set forward my calamity. They have no helper. The literal translation translates Job 30:13 this way. They have broken down my path. They profit by my ruin. They have no helper. Well, that part about they've broken down my path or bar my path, they break up all of Job's plans. They tried to bring Job down quickly. And this they did on their own without the help of anyone. In verse 14, Job says, They came upon him like an army through the breach in a wall, or as water coming through a breach in a dam. Verse 14, They came upon me as a wide breaking in. A notice of waters is added by the translators. It's in italics. 
in the desolation they rolled themselves upon me. Albert Barnes says here that the image is, quote, the image is taken from the act of sacking a city, where the besieging army, having made a breach in a wall, would seem to come tumbling into the heart of the city with the ruins of the wall. No time would be wasted, but they would follow suddenly and tumultuously come upon the breach and roll tumultuously along, unquote. Now, others have said that this refers to the scoffers being like water that rolls through a breach in a dam. But either way, they're rolling in upon Job. In verse 15, Job has entered turmoil to go along with what is happening from the scoffers. Job 30, 15. Terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my soul as the wind, and my welfare passeth away as a cloud. So everything that is happening to Job, all these things that we've seen, are producing terrors in Job like the fury of a storm that takes away his safety. Now in Job 30 verses 16 through 23, Job bewails the agony that he feels that God has placed upon him. In verse 16, Job says his situation is hopeless. And now my soul is poured out upon me. The days of my affliction have taken hold upon me. The soul being poured out refers to a person whose heart is melted away with grief. Job's afflictions had seized him, and they would not let him go. In verse 17, Job says he has bone-piercing pain every night. My bones are pierced in me in the night season, and my sinews take no rest. The American Standard Version says the pains that gnaw me take no rest. Job could not rest because of the shooting pain he had at night. Every part of his body was filled with pain. And you remember we looked at earlier, he had been in this shape for months. Do we not see how Satan hates human beings and hates God? Well, verse 18, Job gives another effect of his disease. By great force of my disease is my garment changed. It bindeth me about as the collar of my coat. Job is so disfigured here that his clothing is distorted, and his clothing is clinging to him and choking him. And Job believes that God has thrown him down in the mud and treated him like dirt. That's verse 19. He hath cast me into the mire, and I am become like dust and ashes. So Job feels here that he is regarded as being worthless, both to God and man. In verse 20, Job thought God had just ignored his cries of despair. Job 30, verse 20. 
I cry unto thee, and thou dost not hear me. I stand up, and thou regardest me not. Standing was a common posture of the ancients to pray. Job says when he stood up to pray, God ignored him, and he didn't have any regard for his prayer. In verse 21, Job says that God was cruel to him. Verse 21, chapter 30. Thou art become cruel to me with thy strong hand. Thou opposest thyself against me. Adam Clark states this concerning the verse, and I quote, Thou appearest to treat me with cruelty. I cry for mercy, trust in thy goodness, and am still permitted to remain under my afflictions. Instead of helping, thou opposest me. Thou appearest as mine enemy, unquote. Well, we know that it's not God that's being cruel to Job. It's the devil. Well, in verse 22, Job believes that God has made his life stormy. Job 30, 22. Thou liftest me up to the wind. Thou causest me to ride upon it and dissolvest my substance. Adam Clark says this, and I quote, Thou hast so completely stripped me of all my substance that I am like chaff lifted up by the wind, or as a straw, the sport of every breeze, that at last carried totally away, being dissipated into particles by the continued agitation, unquote. Albert Barnes puts it this way, and I quote, the sense here is that he was lifted up as stubble as by a tempest and driven mercilessly along. The figure of riding upon the wind or the whirlwind is common in Oriental writers, unquote. Well, again, in verse chapter 30, verse 23, Job thinks he will die from his disease. That's verse 23. For I know that thou wilt bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. He knows he's going to die. Well, everyone has an appointment with death, Hebrews 9, 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after that the judgment. So we're all appointed to death. There's a little story that I'd like to read to you now. It's, it is called An Appointment in Samara. And in this, in this little story here, death is speaking. It says there was, a, there was a merchant man in Baghdad who was sent his servant to market to buy provisions, and a little while the servant came back, white and trembling, and said, Master, just now when I was in the marketplace, I was jostled by a woman in the crowd, and when I turned, I saw that it was death that jostled me. She looked at me and made a threatening gesture. Now, lend me your horse, and I will ride away from this city and avoid my fate. I will go to Samara, and there death will not find me. The merchant lent him his horse, and the servant mounted it, and dug his spurs in his flanks, and as fast as the horse could gallop, he went. When the merchant went down to the marketplace, he saw me standing in the crowd and came to me, again that being death, and said, Why did you make a threatening gesture to my servant when you saw him this morning? 
That was not a threatening gesture, I said. It was only a start of surprise. I was astonished to see him in Baghdad, for I had an appointment with him tonight in Samara." Unquote. We all have that appointment with death. Now, in verses 24 to 31, Job says that the description of his mistreatment, he gives a description of the mistreatment that he's received at the hands of others. Verse 24, he knows his pain will end in the grave, Job 30, 24. Howbeit he will not touch, he will not stretch out his hand to the grave, though they cry in his destruction. Job believes that God will bring him to his grave, but there his pain would be over. Job cries for mercy while he is alive, but the grave will bring him peace. Job then appeals to his former life in verse 25. Did I not weep for him that was in trouble, and was not my soul grieved for the poor? Job said he had compassion on those who were afflicted and poor, and Job wants to know why he deserves so much affliction. In verse 26, Job sought good and light, but evil and darkness have overwhelmed him. Verse 26, when I looked for good, then evil came unto me. And when I waited for light, there came darkness. Job expected to live a happy and prosperous life because of his faithfulness in God and doing what was right. But instead, he received great pain and anguish. And then Job is experiencing internal turmoil. Verse 27. My bowels boiled and rested not. The days of affliction prevented, or American Standard says, are come upon me. There are several ideas as to what, well, let's see, let me back up. Verse 27. The literal translation puts it this way. My boil, bowels have boiled, and they have not rested. The days of my affliction confront me. Uh, Albert Barnes says this, and I quote, The idea here is that the seed of sorrow and grief was affected by his calamities, nor was the feeling slight. His emotions he compared with agitated boiling water. It is possible that there is an allusion here to the inflammatory nature of his disease, producing internal heat and pain, but it is more probable that it refers to the mental anguish which he endured." Unquote. Now verse 28, Job says he cried for help, but none came. Job 30, 28, I went mourning without the sun. I stood up and I cried in the congregation. Now, there are several ideas as to what this verse means. Some believe this refers to Job's blackened skin caused by his disease, not by the sun. Some believe that Job is referring to his mourning or his weeping over his calamities with the heat of anger. Some believe that he went mourning over his calamities without a protector or guardian. Well, the word mourning there from the Hebrew word chama means heat by implication the sun. 
Well, regardless, Job cried for help among his friends and acquaintances, and no one would come to his aid. Job says he cries for help were like the cries of an animal, more like the cries of an animal than a human, verse 29. I am a brother to dragons or jackals and a companion to owls. American Standard says ostriches. The word dragon there from Taniin, a Hebrew word, Strong's defines as a, mo a marine or land monster that is a serpent or jackal. The word owls from the Hebrew word ya'ana, which is feminine of ya'en. Strong defines that as the ostrich, probably from its answering cry. So both the jackal and the female ostrich have a mournful cry. In verse 30, Job said his skin is blackened by his disease and his body rages with fever. My skin is black upon me and my bones are burned with heat. You know, how hard would it be for us to have so much patience in enduring so much? You know, in James chapter 5, verse 11, James 5, 11, James wrote, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful or compassionate and of tender mercy. And then verse 31, Job's happy times are gone, and his life is like a funeral. Job 30, 31. My harp also is turned to mourning, and my organ into the voice of them that weep. Instruments of celebration are replaced with the sounds of lamentation. This chapter is filled with painful and pathetic sorrow. Job is a dejected, rejected, and confused man. His life was once wonderful and full of happiness, but now it's full of pain and sorrow. He believes that God has rejected him, and that all mankind has rejected him, and he's alone in his agony. See, this chapter gives us a good look at what Satan is willing to do to a follower of God to try to get us to curse God and die. And Job would not do that. So again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in with us today. Look forward to being with you next time. We hope you enjoyed this program. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Pandora, Spotify, or Podbean. Thanks for listening.